I will start from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, because it sums up what I want to say. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, New King James Version. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I ask, sweet Holy Spirit, that you inspire me. Again, because you know us. You know every single person that is a part of this event today. Everyone, present physically online, you know everyone. You know the details of our lives. You know us from eternity past. You know us into eternity future. Heavenly Father, I ask that you inspire me to speak those words that will help set each of us in perfect alignment with eternity. And then let your glory fall on us. Let your power rest on us. And Father God, let what would happen in our lives today and onwards be a product of your grace. In Jesus' name. So we said last night that when you put the man together, that's when you put the world together. And that broken man can only produce a broken world. Like we had earlier on from Jide and Pastor Wale, we said right from scratch, Satan went after the relationship between man and God. And, and Pastor Wale did start from there, actually, last night. That relationship between man and God, because the only source of identity for man is God. God created man in his own image. So, and then said, <laughs> let them have dominion. So, no image, no dominion. It's amazing. You know, I find it quite interesting that before humans believed that the earth was at the center of the solar system, that the earth was at the center of the universe. Remarkable. And, and, and it speaks to the way man thinks, because we think we are the center of everything. But we're not. Then with time, we now found out, oh no, the sun is at the center. The earth must revolve around it. The distance is fixed. If it's farther, cold would, could, would kill everybody on the earth. If it was closer, the heat from the sun would kill everybody on the earth. Perfect distance. So that's the truth. The man would only find his bearing when he revolves around God. The moment he chooses to go off on a tangent, he gets lost in space. Everything else is confused from there. And that was what Satan was able to do. Get man off his orbit. His orbit around God. And that would be the summary of our discussion yesterday at the end of the matter. Ultimately, 
The mighty man is a God worshiper. The mighty man is a God worshiper. And worship is celebration of value. You celebrate, you recognize and celebrate God's worth. He deposits part of that worth in you. That determines your, your value, right? So when Satan attacked man's relationship with God, he made him lose his sense of identity. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory, the beauty, the richness of God. That was the essence of the discussion between Nicodemus and Christ in John chapter 3. Because this successful man saw Christ and saw him well-rounded, saw him producing results that the average man, in fact, no man was producing. And he just wanted to know why he came under the cover of darkness to have this discussion with Christ. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no man can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he was, Christ was producing results that nobody else was producing. And Christ spoke to the why and the how. Truly, truly, I say to you, except a man, or most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see or experience the kingdom of God. Hmm. I know you're a successful man, Nicodemus. But from what you're saying, I can see you don't even get it. Nicodemus's emphasis was on doing. Unless a man, it says no man can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Christ replies him and does not use the word do. Because women are prone to action. We're fixers. Yeah, the reason why many men don't understand their wives. If she's telling you what's bothering her, a good chunk of the time, it's not because she wants you to fix it, because a lot of the time, she's rambling. So she keeps going round and round and round and round, and then you already know where the story is going to end. And then she's talking and she's branching. Branching here, and then branching there, and then sometimes just connecting with totally unrelated issues and going down that road. And, and you have a feeling she's forgotten what she was talking about. So you want, to, you want to bring her back to the road. Then she's frustrated. Then you are angry that she's angry. And you don't understand why. You don't understand that her talking is not necessarily... not. This is not always, but sometimes her talking is not an attempt to get you to solve the problem. Her talking is an attempt to feel relief because talking gives her relief. Let her land. Because the, because the way she's going, you know where she's going, right? So you quickly help her to get there. 
then you are, you are wondering why she's frustrated. <laughs> right? The women think. No man can do these miracles that you do. And then Christ replies to him and says, <clears throat> it doesn't work like that. Unless one is born again. In the King James Version, it says, except a man be born again. I say, that's it. Jesus left the doing. You think the difference between us is technique. If you could just do what I'm doing, you'll produce the same results. Not necessarily. You come back from now till tomorrow. It won't make you a dog. Except a man be. This, it's about being. Nicodemus was confused. Jesus said, except a man is born again. Unless a man is born again. Born again. Nobody. Nobody had suggested that kind of an idea in human history. That a human being could be born two times. Nicodemus said, what? You mean I should go into my mother's womb? And be born the second time? <laughs> and I wish I was there. And I've said, Jesus, please hold on. Let me talk to Nicodemus, Dr. Nicodemus. Okay, so you observed that there was a difference between your life and the life of Jesus, right? Now, he told you you need to be born the second time. You're asking him whether you should go back into your mother's womb. Your mother's womb. Old womb. Tired womb. If you want your life, now that he told you you need to be born the second time, should you not have asked him if you could go into his own mother's womb? Doesn't that make more sense? Ask him if you go back into this. You were born by your mother. Look at all the problems you have. Look at the limitations you have. You can't perform as well as he's performing. You're not asking if you should go into your mother's womb. You, should, you need to be born by somebody better, Dr. Nicodemus. That's what he's telling you. Get that. <laughs> and really, that was what Christ was saying. You need to be born by somebody else. Why? Because at the root of everything, and again, Pastor Wale said that last night, is your nature. At the root of everything is your nature. You can't do anything beyond the capacity of that nature. That nature puts a cap. It puts a limitation on what you can do. So don't start from doing. Start from being. Start from your nature. And Christ then said to Nicodemus in John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. The first birth was natural. This second one needs to be spiritual. It is possible for the spirit of God to come into a human being and to remove the nature of sin and put God's nature there. That changes everything. That is what changes everything. So today the definition of manhood is completely messed up. And we won't find it until we are born by God because he is the ultimate. If you want to define a man, interestingly, if you want to define a woman too, but our discussion here is man. In Ephesians 3.14, Peter, uh, Paul said, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. The ultimate father is God. 
you need to be born by God. You may fit into the world's definition of manhood, but you will not fulfill your potential until you have the nature of God. They may celebrate you, right? But you need to know, as long as you use a faulty ruler to measure anything, the measurement is going to be wrong, even if you are celebrating that you measured one foot. In Luke chapter 12, from verse 15, Jesus told his disciples, beware of covetousness. For a man's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he possesses. That meaning is lost on us. If you work in the corporate sector, you know, the higher you go, the bigger everything becomes. Bigger office, bigger title, bigger salary. Then the structure is so set that you've got to get a bigger house. Because people of your status do not live in this neighborhood. And they don't live in this kind of houses. So bigger, bigger everything, bigger everything. Before you know it, even your head is getting bigger. <laughs> oh yeah, the way the world structure is organized, your ego gets bigger as you go. Sadly, that's the way it works in the world. That's not the way it works in God's system. That's not the way it works in God's system. So that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you can be successful according to the world structure or definition of success and yet be a failure in God's definition. So in Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, beware of covetousness, for a man's life does not consist of the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he shared a story about a man, a farmer, who set goals one particular year. Not only did he achieve his goals, he exceeded the goals. He exceeded the goals. They said his ground, the ground, his farm brought forth in abundance. Then he was asking himself, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do now? He said, I will pull down my barns. I'll pull down my warehouses. I will build bigger ones. Then I will store all my crops. He said, and then I will say to my soul. <laughs> ah, take your ease. Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus said, and God spoke from heaven. He said, you're a fool. I should confess. You know, I know that just hit someone like a thunderbolt. Now, boom. But that was, I, I got angry over that passage. I got angry. I said, Lord, why? What was his offense? So is it true what I've been hearing since childhood that you don't like for somebody to be prosperous? <laughs> you don't like for somebody to be successful? Yeah, because that was what I heard from childhood. The story of the rich man and Lazarus. When they died... The rich man went to hell. Lazarus was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. So they said, if you endure too much in this world, you will suffer when you cross over to the other side. If you suffer very well here, you will enjoy. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wicked doctrines created by elite class, both in the church and outside church, to make people comfortable in their misery. Hoping for a better life beyond. Excuse me. The rules for being rich are different from the rules for going to heaven. 
Eddie Fanny. So, just to tell you, in, in case you bought into that doctrine, the rules for playing soccer are different from the rules for playing volleyball, right? You play one with your leg, you play one with your hand. <laughs> if you play with your leg where you should play with your hand, they blow the whistle on you. It's a foul. Good. You can suffer in this world, cross over to the other side and continue your suffering there. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and it's possible to be prosperous here and still go to heaven. How come the Abraham that the poor man went to meet was wealthy when he was here? I beg, I beg. <laughs> anyway, so I was, I was asking God, what was the man's fault? He set goals. Not only did he set goals, he achieved his goals. Why were you angry? Why did you kill him? So the Holy Spirit said, I cannot be wrong. You are the one that is not getting it. Read it. I read it again. I did not see anything the man did wrong. He said, read it again. He said, read it slowly. Something is in there that you are missing. So I read it slowly. What am I going to do now? I will pull down my bands. I will build bigger ones. I will store all my crops. Then I will say to my soul. And then it clicked. There was absolutely no mention of God. God did not exist in the whole equation. And it appears to me like it was, he was laying claim on everything. You know, the farm was his farm. The crops were his crops. The bands were his. Then, so I think it was when he got to his soul. And then I will say to my soul that God said, it's enough. Ah, uh -uh. Hello. Okay, we agree. The bands are yours. The crops are yours. Everything is yours. The soul. I'll show you who owns the soul. Report in heaven now. You can take the rest. What's it? So I'm saying, yeah, you, you can be fulfilled. They can celebrate you. They can even give you our words. And that still doesn't mean that you are successful. The starting point, the foundation for everything is God's nature. God created man in his own image, after his own likeness. I want to challenge someone today. I want to challenge someone. See, last night, we shared the story of the woman that Jesus had a conversation with by the well in John chapter 4. And Jesus said to the woman, if you knew the person who was talking to you, you would ask me for water. And she was wondering, where would you get the water from? I have the bucket, you know. And then he made this profound statement. Whoever drinks of the water of this life will thirst again. But whoever drinks the one that I have to offer, he will never first again. It will be in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman screamed, give me this water so that I don't have to come back to this well. And what Jesus was simply saying was there is nothing in this material world that can give you lasting fulfillment. Nothing. Nothing in the material world. Nothing. 
Let me use the Pareto principle to describe, uh, sorry, Maslow's hierarchy of needs to describe it. So the first five levels that he described of human needs, the first two are physiological, need for food and drink. Second level, need for safety, security. Third level, need for belonging, need for love. The fourth, need for self-esteem, respect. And number five, the need for significance, the need for meaning. And he says, you usually don't become fully aware of the higher level needs until the lower level needs are met. Not that they're not there, but you're not aware. Did you notice? It's only the first two levels that are physical, that are material. That's why it's a waste of life to define success only by the material. Only the first two levels are material. From level three, they are intangible needs. The need for love. But I love the way he described it. If you have not eaten, like we say in pidgin English, who love help? <laughs> Somebody is not eating, you're talking about love. Let me eat food first. Then we'll, there will be love. Right? So, love, respect, significance, it's amazing. See, the first four, you achieve them by setting goals and chasing them. Then people have a problem crossing into level five, the need for significance. Because the interesting thing is you will never get it by achieving more for yourself. You get level five, that significance level, by helping other people to succeed. It's amazing. Now Jesus, in Matthew 6, teaches us to start from five. Then all these things will be added to you. It's different in God's system. It's different in God's system. So, that's why Jesus was saying, there is nothing in this world that will give you lasting satisfaction. So, something is wrong with the general definitions of manhood, or, being, or manliness, or being a man. Generally wrong. So, when Jesus said to this woman, whoever drinks of the water of this life will thirst again, and she was, mm, then he said to her, go call your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. He said, that's only technically correct. You've been married five times. You're on the sixth man now. And this man, you're not even married now. Maybe she was tired of the marriage thing. And Jesus was saying, you are thirsty. And this water of marriage you are drinking will not satisfy you. Worship God. Only God can give you the fulfillment. Well, okay, fine. That was a woman, right? Go to Ecclesiastes and go read the story of a man. For those that think the measure of, you know, the strength of a man, the power of a man is how many women you sleep with. Sex. Sex appeal. Sex power. Body count. <laughs> okay, so what's your body count? 
You've slept with 30 women. And you think that's an achievement. You're a lazy man. Go and read Solomon's report. The man turned his palace into a laboratory. <laughs> he tasted all kinds, all from different countries, different colors, different shapes, different sizes. And at the end of the day, he says, you know what, vanity of all vanities, all is vanity. So why not go read this lab report? and start from there. So this one you're doing body count is a waste of time. So why are you drinking this water again and again and again? Because it does not give lasting fulfillment. That's what you're looking for, lasting fulfillment. Have the nature of God, amen. <laughs> Have the nature of God. It's to have money, have investment, have houses here. In, in, in the GTA alone, I have three beautiful houses, three powerful houses, good. If you want to enjoy, enjoy them to the maximum, make sure you sleep in all three in one night. Yeah, push, the, push the pleasure, the enjoyment to the limit. Make sure you sleep in the three in one night. So what does that mean? You sleep two hours in one, then you cross over to the second one, sleep two hours, then cross over. Is that not madness? There is nothing in this material world that is going to give you lasting fulfillment. I'm calling on you as a man that you won't find the definition of your identity in the first place outside of God. The time, God is a spirit. He created you in his image, you are a spirit. Yes, the material part of you will be satisfied with physical things. Yes, you will eat food. Yes, you will have sex. Yes, you will have a house, drive beautiful cars. Yes, but there's a part of you that material things will never be able to satisfy. Everything is maintained from where it is created. Yeah? Anything you create, the raw material you use to create it is what you use to maintain it. When God breathed into Adam, the body that he formed, I said it last night, breathe into his body the breath of life. I said God actually caught spirit, pulled spirits out of himself and dumped it in that body. The word Adam means mankind. How do you call one man mankind? Oh yeah, the spirit of all humans that would ever live were dumped into that one body. When Eve was created, God did not breathe into her body. He pulled her spirit out from Adam's body and put it in a different kind of body. And that was why when Adam sinned, he crossed over to every human being. So that part of you that came out of God will never be maintained by anything else except from God. What comes from God? What comes from God? I'm calling on the man present here today. There is something in you that will never be fulfilled by all those things. All those things that they set as standards. Somewhere along the line, people, people then get into funny things just to satisfy. Back in Africa where I come from, sometimes we're amazed. We're just amazed when we learn about the amounts of money that people steal in government. We're amazed. It's, it's, only madness can describe 
some of those sums of money. Am I right? Only madness can explain some of those sums of money. But it's, mm, it's not that. They're trying to satisfy something. But they are thirsty. So they keep getting more and more and more and more. Let me talk about money. Because when, when you have the nature of God, it gives you capacity to think like God. Jesus came to demonstrate that to us. You know, how to be a God person in this world. What was his thinking about money? In John chapter 6, he had been teaching a crowd for about three days. He had been teaching a crowd for about three days. He knew they were running out of, running short of food supplies. So John 6 verse 5 says that he turned to his disciple Philip and, and said, Philip, where will we get bread for these people to eat? <laughs> Philip said, Sir, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. Every one of them, even if we give each one a little. The denarii was the daily wage of the average worker. So it was money. Now the next verse says, Oh, no, 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 no. That <laughs> John 6, 5, and then verse 6 says, This he said to prove him, to test him. For he himself did, did what? Knew what he was going to do. So in Christ's mind, that crowd was fed. And the how, he knew it. He was just rusting a, running a test on this gentleman. Because when you go to school for a semester, they run a test on you. They ask you to write exams to see whether you were listening in class. So Christ wanted to see if the guy had been listening. Where will we get bread for these people to eat? This he said to test him. He already knew what he was going to do. Philip's brain went to money. So my suspicion is that he asked Judas. <laughs> How much is in the account? How much is in the bag? Or maybe more accurately, how much is left after all your stealing? <laughs> the money was not sufficient. He calculated how many loaves of bread that would buy. That couldn't go around the crowd. He said that each of them may have a little. So obviously he was reducing their rations. Cut the loaves in half. Still did not go around. Cut to one quarter. It did not go around. That's what we do, isn't it? Mm -hmm. We check what our money can afford. When we realize the money cannot afford it, we reduce the vision. See, there's a relationship between vision and provision, right? <laughs> you break provision down, it's pro-vision. Pro means for, right? Towards. The opposite is anti, which means against. So if it is pro-vision, then it is for the vision. It's the way the world works. You attract resources to the size of your vision. Sadly, you see, and that's if you hold the vision long enough. If you, you are going to fight a lot of mental fights before you get to that point. But if you hold the vision long enough, it will either attract or produce. It will find a way to produce its material equivalent in your life. But sadly, most people don't hold the vision long enough. Rather, we allow the provision to control the vision. The vision is supposed to control the provision but we allowed the provision to control the vision. That was the problem with Philip. 
He went to the provision, 200 denarii. <laughs> it was not enough to satisfy the vision. So he was reducing it, reducing each person's ration. Still, it could not work. Anyway, let me jump to the end of the story. Christ fed that crowd without money. He sidestepped money. Why? Because money, money, those currencies are only realities in the material world, in this physical world. God did not create money. Man did. God did not create money. Man did. The sad thing is that man now uses the availability or non-availability of money to measure what God can do. I call it foolishness 101. Should I state it again? God created man. Man created money. Man now uses the availability or non-availability of money to measure what God can do. God created man. Man created money. Man now uses the availability or non-availability of money to measure what God can do. Christ sidestepped the money and, and fed the crowd. You need to have the nature of God to be able to think like that. That's what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. What's miracle to you? Science. Those are normal to me. They're a product of my nature. My nature is miracle to you. But you can have the same nature if you allow God to give birth to you. The Spirit of God can give birth to you. Some people run away from church because we talk about sin. You know, sin is not good and so on. There's no need to. But I guess it's because church people too themselves confuse people over the subject. If you want to move close to God, you must stop doing this. You must stop doing that. What kind of a message is that? They cannot stop. As long as the nature of sin is there, man cannot stop sin. Have you noticed why the New Year resolutions don't work? I will not tell lies this year. You. As long as the, as long as the nature of sin is there. The nature of sin is Satan's nature. In John 8:44, Jesus called him a liar and the father of lies. Jesus said when he tells a lie, he is speaking from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan cannot say the truth. The day he does, this world will disappear. He cannot. <laughs> he is a liar and the father of it. When he says a lie, he's speaking from his nature. If you have his nature, you will tell lies. How can a dog make a New Year resolution? I will not back this year. <laughs> what kind of a resolution is that? Just, just, just act like you're about to attack the dog. You will, uh, the dog will come out. The back will come out of the dog. Because the back is in the dog. Sin is in the nature of man. It will come out. The only way you can escape it and have some opportunity of doing right is to just have that nature of sin removed and have God's nature put in you. Amen. Amen. Okay. I have a few minutes left to say actually what I want to say. That 1 Corinthians 13, 11. A few minutes to say it. But this foundation must be laid. I studied civil engineering. 
I can never run away from the understanding of foundations. When I'm looking at a building, I know there's a path to that building I cannot see. It controls what that building can do forever. When I look at a tree, I know the path that I cannot see is what determines how far that tree can go, period. Why do change efforts fail? Because at the same time, I'm a strategic leadership expert. So I look at organizations a lot of the time. Maybe a leader attends a conference like this or reads a book or something, and then they get a powerful idea. Then they get to the organization. They want to effect change. Why do those change efforts fail? You can't put into an organization something that was not provided for in its original design. You want to add stories to a building that was designed only for three stories. You want to add three or four to crash. It's not going to work. So now that we all have that God nature, so what I wanted to say is to fulfill your destiny as a man, grow that God nature. Just grow your God nature. Grow your God nature. Grow your God nature. That's it. <laughs> you start out as a spiritual baby. I said last night, the first Adam was created in the body of an adult. But three days after he was created, if you met him, he was in the body of an adult, but he was a three-day-old baby. And when the devil came, the devil took him out because of his immaturity. When the last Adam came, God didn't put him in an adult body. He didn't drop from heaven. God allowed him to come as a baby and used 30 years to prepare him. 30 years to cook him. Okay? Grow your God nature. So, Paul the Apostle said in 1 Corinthians 13, 11 that we read earlier, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. The proof of growth is change. The proof of growth is change. How do you know your child is growing? Change. Change in the height, change in the size, change in the shoe size, change in the dress size, right? Change. Luke chapter 2 verse 52 gives us a testimony about Christ. It says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Four areas. Your growth needs to be balanced. He grew in wisdom. That speaks about competence, problem-solving capacity, mental development, career development. Identify your talents, your gifts, and turn them into skills. In one, at least one area of life, you've got to be able to solve problems at an unusual level. That's important to being a man. He grew in wisdom. Then he grew in stature. Our physical health matters. I always feel like pleading with men. Please watch your health. Stay around as long as God wants you to be around. Amen? Don't live a careless life. Why is it that in almost every country, the life expectancy for men is lower than that of women? Because women take risks. We take risks that the women don't take. But I have seen the impact of men dying and leaving children young. 
I'm not saying it's people's fault. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying some could be prevented. The impact is devastating. As a pastor, I know. Some of the ladies that are drawn to me the most in church are ladies that lost their fathers when they were young. There's, there's a need. There's a need. And when you're not mature as a man, it's so easy to take advantage of their vulnerability. I know still, I cannot offer everything they're looking for. I direct them to God. I help them to cultivate their relationship with God. But I have seen the impact because they tend to draw their identity from their fathers. Remember, Adam was given the power to name. It has impact on the men too, on the young men. Please stay around. First long wants you to be around. Jesus increased in stature. And then he was in favor with God. Cultivate your relationship with God. Remember what we said earlier on. You won't find your bearing out, outside of God. Don't be lost in this world. Cultivate your relationship with God. This is Christ setting the example for us. And Jesus increased in favor with men. Build your social connections. Build your relationships. So pay attention to those four areas of growth. Pay attention to those four areas of growth. Real success always comes with a balance. But when they tell us that being successful only in the area of career is what it means to be successful and to have a lot of money, they throw our lives out of balance. And then some people, yes, they make all the money, lose their health. Or make all the money, lose their relationships. Real success is with a balance. This is Christ showing us an example. Good. The last part of the discussion. Submit to training. You need to be trained. We need to be trained. Christ's training was done by the Holy Spirit. You know, there was a story that came to my mind when I was thinking about our theme, but I wasn't led to go there. 1 Samuel 22, the Bible talks about the people that went to David when he was running from Saul the king. 400 people, his family members and some other people. And the description is remarkable. The Bible describes that crowd as all that were distressed all that were in debt, all that were discontented. I say, wow, what a group to start with. So let's assume you're a pastor. Who wants to start with those kind of church members? Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented. Rebels, people who ran away from school, ran away from home. Those were the people that gathered to him. You wonder why. You don't attract who you want. You attract who you are. He was also in distress. He didn't have anything. And he was a rebel. <laughs> Running away from his boss. Fast forward. Second Samuel 23. 
and then you see the same people listed. And these were the mighty men of David. What a testimony to leadership. What a testimonial to leadership. Do you remember it was one of them, the day he had the opportunity to kill Saul, that it was one of them that said to him, David, do it. This is the day that the Lord spoke to you about. That he will deliver the kingdom into your hand. Kill him. David said, who will touch the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? That, that, that conversation was powerful. So these guys were saying, David, don't forget. There was a prophecy. There was a prophecy said about you. This is the day for the fulfillment. Kill your boss. And David said, it doesn't work like that in God's system. Wisdom tells me, if David killed Saul that day, those guys will kill him later. Because the structure would have been established for rising into leadership in their system. You are nothing without character. And you don't get character from nowhere. You get it through discipline. You get it through training. Christ developed In fact, there was a second opportunity to kill Saul. This guy was there again, Abishai. He saw David was reluctant. He said, David, don't touch him. Since you say you don't want to touch the Lord's anointed, just give me the permission. He said, I will strike him once, not twice. I'm not going to miss. Just once. Submit to training. I found out in my experience. Now look at my contemporaries. Those of us that submitted to mentors have just fared better than those that did not. Sorry, it's, it's, it just turned out that way. Character. Galatians 4, 1 and 2. Let me give us some scriptures and I, and I run. Galatians 4, 1 and 2. Now I say that the heir, the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Don't forget that Christ himself had to be trained till the age of 30 and that something happened at 30 at the River Jordan. That John the Baptist's baptized him, buried him in the waters of the Jordan, brought him up. And as he did, the heavens opened. The Spirit of God came on him and God spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Many years ago, I was studying that passage and I discovered there are different words in the Greek translated child or son in English language. There are five of them describing five levels of maturity. The one Christ used in that passage, the one God used in that passage was the highest, Huyos. This is my mature son in whom I am well pleased. In Jewish culture, they have the ceremony they call the Bar Mitzvah, the placing of a son. And in those days, you had this big stone at the city center. You were expected to train your son. And 
the proof of your son's maturity was perfect alignment with your own thinking. That was your objective, to get your son to be able to think like you. Then when you knew you were ready, it wasn't a matter of longevity. It was how fast the child caught it, developing a sense of judgment like you. Then you asked your son to stand on that stone and announce to everybody in the city, this is my who yours. They got the message. This guy now thinks like me. If this guy makes any business contract with you, I am under obligation to fulfill it. They said the current day equivalent is for you to take your son to the bank and to put your son's signature on the signature card. Bank manager, honor his signature as well as you will honor mine. That was what God did with Christ and did the placing for him, the bar mitzvah for him at the river Jordan. Satan understood what God meant. Whatever Jesus says from today, I said it. Anything he says, I must honor it. Any check he writes, I must satisfy it. The powers that created heaven and earth were his. This was him. Yeah, it was Philippians 2 explains it, second person of Trinity, but he shared all of that, came as a man and showed us the template, how it's supposed to be, be trained by God the Father to the point where God himself can say that you are his who yours. You notice the miracle started after that. Satan understood. That's why Satan went after him before he would do anything. If you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. And he said, I'm not going down that road with you. Since God said it, that settles it. My, my identity will never be defined by accomplishment or acquisition. It will be defined by God said. That's maturity, right? So this is it. The proof of maturity is perfect alignment with the Father's will. I challenge you to think like God and to act like God. So I remind you as I close, I go back to the verse where we started. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. Look at the order. Isn't it amusing? I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. Is it not supposed to be the other way around? Should you not think first, then understand, then speak? Children do it the other way around. They speak first. When you smack them, they understand. <laughs> then they come down and they begin to think. <laughs> when I was a child, now that I am a man. But the interesting thing is that that verse is taken from the great chapter on love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul was speaking about love from the top. That's it. You want to use one word to define the nature of God? L-O-V-E. Love. Develop your capacity for love. What is love? It ties into my definition of worship. 
Love is the celebration, the recognition and celebration of value. Sadly today, we are afraid to even use that word because some people have hijacked it out there. You know, as a man, the Bible says you are the head. That's leadership, right? Now that's my 40. So, and I say, you cannot succeed as a leader if you don't love people. But then, people don't want to use that word in the corporate sector. I say, I will use it. Because God is love. God so loved the world. Sorry. God so recognized the value of man or the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? He gave his trying to tell us this is how much you are worth in my own views. The proof of love is given because when you love someone, you recognize their real value. You will spot a gap. A gap between their potential value and their current reality. That is what motivates you to give. Somebody, a human being doesn't have food. You give your money or you go get food. You want to close the gap. God wanted to close the gap between our reality and our potential. He gave his only son. Recognition and celebration of value. So, the real proof that you're a man is for you to have capacity to love. Amen? Amen. So, they asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Let me close with what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 43 to 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, do what? Love your enemies. Ah. You can't do that without the nature of God. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That what? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Pay attention. For he does what? For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And does what? And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So that's it. That's the last thing for me. When you love, you will be free from prejudice. You won't have a problem with women. You won't have a problem with people of another race. You won't have a problem with people from another ethnic group. You will be free from prejudice. You will be able to fulfill your destiny as a co-creator with God. God created us in his own image. You will be a creator. Why can't you find Christians in many of the spaces, creative spaces in the world right now? Because as much as we are Christians, we're prejudiced. Prejudices transferred from generations past. Prejudices, and you know, prejudice comes in even from when you're a child. I ask people in our church, you grew up in Nigeria. You are now married. 
The first time you told your parents that you had found who to marry, I asked them, what was the first question they asked you? Where is she from? Where is he from? It already entered into you before you were conscious of it. And here is your own Bible saying, but when it comes to causing the rain to fall, when it comes to making the sun to shine, God does not discriminate. Christians think they own God. You are mistaken. He belongs to everybody. He, he belongs to everybody. And until you function at that level, God may find it more convenient to find someone outside the church to create this Apple phone, this Apple phone, than to use a Christian. You, if you are going to create something that will be useful for the whole world, useful for the saved and on the unsaved, you better get out of your religious mindset and develop the capacity to love everybody without prejudice. If you are going to be able to lead in politics, I know you will belong to a political party. Other people will belong to another party. That's not an excuse for you to operate in hatred. It's just a contest of ideas to find who will serve the people better. Once you get over into that hatred, just because you belong to one party, somebody belongs to another, you are outside of your scope as a Christian. You are failing already. If you will be the children of your father, the ultimate creator, that adds value to the whole world, be free from prejudice. I declare that today for someone here, it's a River Jordan experience. This is a River Jordan experience. This is a River Jordan experience. The you that is going back home from this conference will not be the you that came to this conference. As Christ stood up from the waters of the Jordan, the heavens opened. I prophesy over you. Today, Heaven invades your life like never before. Receive a fresh baptism of the power of the Holy Spirit. Human ability comes to an end. God's ability takes over. Your mind will function like it never functioned before. I prophesy the spirit of creativity, spirit of wisdom. Ideas will come to you with ease. Even your dreams will be productive. They will be creative. You will be surprised after today. The kind of ideas that will come. Even after the ideas have come, you will be amazed at the courage. The capacity to move forward in the presence of fear. And then when you step forward like that, you will be surprised at the results. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I declare the world's problems have become your own opportunities. When someone was sick around Jesus, it was opportunity for healing. When somebody died, it was opportunity for resurrection. I prophesy today, you have become an anointed problem solver. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good, doing good, doing good, healing all that were oppressed by the devil. I prophesy, you will never be a liability again the rest of your life. You will have a reputation for being an asset. It happened for Joseph. It happened. His boss recognized that 
his household was blessed for Joseph's sake. I prophesy wherever you are from today, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, you will be a massive value-adding asset. I prophesy in the mighty name of Jesus, God's favor, like never before. (laughs) How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. With the Holy Spirit and power. The gifts of the Spirit are activated in you. Supernatural talents are activated in you. Supernatural talents are activated in you. You will do what is normal to you, but it will be profound in its impact on other people. Anyone that is out of alignment with their divine calling today, I prophesy, heaven will move you on the right path. Some people will change jobs. Some will change careers. Some will change geographical location. But wherever God created for you and provided for you, heaven will move you there. In the mighty name of Jesus, what was difficult will become easy. Wherever you show up from today, demonic activities will be paralyzed. Receive a new level of spiritual authority. Authority to displace territorial spirits and to take over territories from them. Possess new territories. Possess new territories. Walk in victory. Tread over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Occultic power loses its control over you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Whoever is operating in the same space with you that is operating with occultic power, their power is destroyed. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. From today, I declare the spirit of prophecy comes on you. I mean that when you speak, it is inspired words you will speak. What could resist your words before will not be able to resist anymore? Because you won't be speaking your own words, you will be speaking God's words. Whatever cannot stop God will not be able to stop you. Whatever cannot be refused, God will not be refused you. Nobody will be powerful enough to be your excuse anymore. No one will stop you. Go forth. Luke 4.14, and Jesus returned into Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and his fame went abroad. I declare a new level of branding for you. In Jesus' name, amen.